day on Ag News Daily. They're hoping that we can just avoid some of these late season storms like what we had coming, kind of rumble through yesterday. So as agronomists, we're always looking for the bad, right? That's our job. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Delaney Howell here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined by my co-host, Mike Pearson. Mike, what do you know today? Oh, boy, Delaney, I know it is still raining. It has been off and on all morning, but mostly on. And uh, part of my hay storage area, which is a basically six inches of lime on top of a fairly level ground, most of it has now washed into my feed alley mm. because of all the rain. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting uh, interesting little tour that we're kind of doing next week. We're not doing a crop tour like Pro Farmer does, but we're kind of going to do a little tour across, what, North D- or South Dakota, Northern Iowa, into parts of Illinois next week, Mike, aren't we? We are. So, listeners, if you are up in that area, basically draw a line from Sioux Falls to Chicago, and uh, you're a grower of anything, anything at all, livestock, grains, I don't think there's any pumpkin growers up that yeah, high when we get into not. Illinois. I think they're yeah. all a little farther south. Uh, but, you know, whatever. We're, we're going to be cruising along with uh, Ted Seifert from the Zaner Group and Matt Zaner, who is uh, kind of the main chochacho there at uh, <laughs> Zaner. And, um, yeah, give us a holler. We'd love to stop. We're, we yeah. basically have our, our day free. We want to chat with growers, hear what's going on in, in your part of the world, and, uh, you know, build some connections. And I think Ted has actually offered to take yield estimates for farmers if they are interested in that, although at this point it's pretty late for that, but he has offered that as well. He has also offered listeners dinner. Yes. So, you know, it might be might be worth your while there to, uh, to give us a shout out and, uh, you know, let Zayner pick up the tab on a, I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking steak dinners the whole week. Oh, absolutely. What are you thinking? Yeah, steak dinners for sure. Yeah, so so give us a shout. Find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, at uh, Ag News Daily, or you know, drop us a note if you or family or friends are up. Basically, consider it north of Highway 20 in Iowa, south of Interstate 90 in Minnesota. You know, we'd love to try and get you on the on the list and stop by. So find us there at uh, AgNewsDaily.com. All right, perfect, Mike. Your little plug there for us, but we are. Still following the news as we are preparing, even though we are preparing for a little road trip here. Mike, what's jumping at you today? Well, you know, so I mentioned the uh, social media. Of course, that's where you can find us. I'm an avid Twitter super user. Delaney, I know you're a (laughs) Snap fan. I am. And, uh, you know, we're all kind of hooked on social media nowadays. This isn't necessarily ag-specific, but will certainly impact agriculture. Because I think for those of us, we heard about this from the Girls Talk Ag interview, For those of us in rural America, social media has been a way for us to really connect outside of our, you know, quarter sections we live on. And it was announced today that the Department of Justice is going to be looking into social media firms over free speech concerns. Basically, they're uh, they're wondering if social media platforms were intentionally stifling the free exchange of ideas. So... I don't know. Stay tuned. I guess we'll see what happens with social media here as we move into the brave new world of the future. I don't get how it would be stifling anything. Um, I think what they're they're saying that perhaps certain searches or like on Twitter, people have been shadow banned where they just don't pop up in anybody else's you know timeline. Oh, right, right. Yeah, but nobody the, knows the weird the algorithms that they have that only certain things show up in your news feeds. Exactly. Mm. Interesting. All right. Yeah. Well, Mike, I've got some actual ag news coming at you today. Quite a bit, actually, jumping out at me. Today was the first day that the conference 
committee mess. Um, and it doesn't sound like we have any news coming out of it yet. However, there were quite a few issues that they wanted to meet on. Um, some of those included some SNAP negotiations, and apparently House Agriculture Chairman Mike Conaway submitted a new comprehensive farm bill proposal to his Senate counterparts last week that made what he describes, of course, as a significant compromise on those SNAP nutrition requirements. He doesn't, or he didn't uh, give any specifics to reporters last week, but I'm guessing a lot of it has to do with those work requirements and obligations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going to be a hot topic, I know. And it's so, so we just don't know exactly what's taking shape yet in the bill. There's nothing's yes. quite been released. It sounds like today was really a time for, uh, what would it be, 57, 56? Yeah, the 56 congressmen and women to basically give their priorities, a chance for them to sit, step forward and say, these are the things I want to prioritize in the farm bill moving forward, um, and not going to be a day of negotiations today. Gotcha. More of a, an airing of grievances, so to speak, if this were Festivus. Right. Every conference committee member will get three minutes to speak, and four leaders of the negotiate the four leaders of the negotiations, so the chairman and ranking Democrats on the House and Senate Agriculture side, We'll each get five minutes to speak today. Mm, but that's still yeah, a long time. I mean, 56 times three. I'm not good at math, but, you know, you can do the math. Yeah, I don't know, two, two and a half hours, because you know they're all going to run over their three yeah, minutes. Yeah, right, right. They're politicians. They're not known for brevity. Yeah, no. Uh, well, I've got uh, information here from South America. Last week talked quite a little bit about the collapse in Argentina. Their economy has been falling apart since the drought struck and reduced the Argentinian government by about a third, their uh, incomes by about a third. Well, the peso has stabilized today because Argentina is in talks with the International Monetary Fund to get an advance on a $50 billion loan that was negotiated back in June. And it sounds like it's it's going to come through. They're going to get a little extra money. There was also rumors that Argentina was negotiating a 5 to $10 billion credit line with mm-hmm. the U.S. Treasury Department. And that the spokesman came out and said, you know, that that's not true. But it's interesting that those rumors were floated to begin with. The reason I mention this is because as the Argentin, Argentina peso was in flux and it was so volatile, that gives farmers down there a reason to hold on to their grains because those physical assets go up in value right. in an inflationary period, which is what they were seeing down there with interest rates now at 60%. Imagine paying that on an operating note. Yeah, it makes it an interesting kind of conundrum because farmers want to hold grain. However, exports usually do better when you have a weaker currency. Yes, yes. And I think in this instance, basically, we're probably going to see the farmers holding grain because it is so crazy. Right. I mean, 60% yeah. interest. Holy cow. You might as yeah. well hang on to your grain and, and use that to backstop any notes and, and potentially get a lower rate mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, selling the grain, watching the peso depreciate further and then, you know, not having any money. Right. Yeah. But you got to do what, what cash flow means yep. you have. So well, let's see. I had some other news here as we look at NAFTA negotiations. Uh, Canada Minister... Christia Freeland and U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer are going to continue talks today. Um, again, going back to the Canadian uh, supply management structure, program, whatever you want to call it, Purdue made some comments today that basically 
this isn't something we need to back down on. Class 7 has to go away. He said, quote, if you want a supply management system for the dairy sector, we're simply saying you need to change the management. You need to manage the supply and not allow your producers to overproduce, which reduces the international supply. Interestingly enough, though, I was looking at a uh, an article on Dairy Head Management this morning, which is an entity of AgWeb, and it was talking about uh, dairy cattle. The dairy cattle herd here, the USDA's NAS services, estimated that the milk cow herd slipped 8,000 cows during July, which is the same as the year-over-year period. However, this is the lowest herd tally we've seen since October, and it's tied for the second smallest year-over-year percentage for increases in milk at just 0.4% up. So it looks like maybe producers are, are starting to recognize that we are in a time of lots of milk supply. Um, but again, we'll, we'll continue watching those negotiations. The other piece of news I, I kind of wanted to talk about since it is tied into NAFTA is this new book that's been released. Mike, I don't know if you've seen this today or yesterday. Um, but we have a new book that just got released by Bob Woodward about mm. President Trump and his former economic advisor, Gary Cohn. Apparently, quoting in this, quoted in this book, um, is that Cohn prevented Trump from withdrawing on a South Korean agreement and NAFTA by, quote-unquote, swiping the letter from his desk that, that uh, Trump was apparently going to sign off on. Really? Literally just stole it off the desk? Literally stole it off of his desk. Huh. Interesting. So President Trump was questioned about this. He said, you know, of course, that's not true. He doesn't know anything about it. Um, But, yeah, I just thought that was a little bizarre, kind of interesting. I don't know if that's why Cohn got fired or not, but... Yeah. Well, you know, they definitely had some disagreements on yeah. policy, for sure, Cohn and Trump, especially right. when it comes to trade. I, I've got to imagine. And again, you know, perhaps the incompetence of government will will surprise me yet again. But I imagine there is more than one copy of a letter withdrawing from a massive free trade agreement. I, I got to yeah. figure there'd be a backup somewhere. Right. Yeah. I don't know. So he said Woodward, Bob Woodward, the author of this book. Um, said that Cohn quoted him, quoted and said, I can stop this, according to his accounts of the incident. Quote, I'll just take the paper off of his desk. Huh. Interesting. Literally well, off of his desk. Yeah. On the uh, on the, the free trade agreement with South Korea, that last year, right around this time, I think it was right around Labor Day weekend, President Trump said we're going to renegotiate it. And it was announced yesterday that those renegotiations are coming to an end. We don't yet have text of the new agreement. It sounds like it's more of a tweaking than any kind of massive change to the chorus free trade agreement with South Korea. But we should have that text here, I would think, a little bit later on this week. They're just oh, kind perfect. of... Finalizing everything. Um, I have another announcement out of D.C. This was certainly picking some some media attention up a little bit earlier today, and it comes out of the EPA, an agency which, uh, you know, certainly can get people fired up. It was announced earlier that Ryan Zinke, who's the uh, Secretary of the Interior, Mm -hmm. has hired a man by the name of Rob Gordon to a fairly high-ranking position in the EPA. This matters because Rob Gordon is one of the most outspoken critics of the Endangered Species Act uh, that we've ever seen. He has said that the Endangered Species Act has been miscounting uh, the, the animals under its care or the 
critters, I, I guess, with all bugs and stuff. Um, <laughs> he says that the EPA has not accurately reflected the damage done when things get declared an endangered species as far as dollar value is concerned. You know, what happens when you stop this economic movement? And now he is in a position of power. So I wonder if we won't see more changes or revisions to the Endangered Species Act as we go through this year. And I know a lot of our friends out in the Great Plains have uh, been dealing with this issue, of course, with wolves. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, with the uh, the prairie chicken. The, yeah. Either grouse? the lesser or is the that greater. on one there, too? Which one? The grouse. Yes, the sage grouse. Yeah. I think that's well, on there is, it, well. is that the same as a prairie chicken? I I don't know. I'm not the person to ask. Yeah, I'm not either. So anyway, ho hopefully from an agriculturalist perspective, maybe this will be bringing more common sense to the Endangered Species Act, which has for a long time been used by uh, environmental activist groups to mm -hmm. stop certain activities they don't like. Right. Hmm. Okay. Well, the other piece of news I had is also coming out of D.C. today, and that is uh, some new new management going into the USDA Agriculture Secretary Sonia Purdue is getting his fourth Senate confirmed undersecretary today that's going to be Jim Hubbard who will be sworn in as the undersecretary for natural resources to oversee the Forest Service. Oh well good given all the fires that have been going on that'll be nice to have that position filled. Yes it will. Well Delaney that does it for my news should we jump into the markets and see what's going on? Let's do it. All right, folks, and remember, our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Get in touch with us. If you are in northern Iowa, southern Minnesota this next week, we'd love to bring Ted Seifert, the chief market strategist for Zaner, by your place, chat markets, chat crop conditions. Let's take a look today. We've got red pretty well all down the screen in the grains today. Looking at the corn market, September contract down two and three quarter cents, at 351 and three quarters. December down three cents to close at 365 and a quarter. September soybeans off six and a half cents at 825 and a half. The November contract down six and a quarter. Finished the day at 838 even. And weakness continues in the wheat pit. Chicago contract September wheat down nine cents at 493 and three quarters. December down nine and three quarters to close at 521 and three quarters. Looking over to the livestock side, we've got a down day in the live cattle complex. The October contract lower by 82.5 cents at 109.05. December down 65 cents to finish at 113.75. Mixed trade and feeder cattle September contract was unchanged on the day at 151.72.5. October down 35 cents to close at 151.47.50. And more mixed trade as we get into the lean hogs. The October contract up 90 cents, closed. 51.97 and a half. December down seven and a half cents to finish at 55.17 and a half. Looking over to the dairy market in Class Three milk, that September contract up a penny, finished at 16.53. October up four cents to close the day at 16.78. Today we're kind of going to do an agronomy discussion, so let's kick it off first with Jeremy Miner of Kruger Seeds. Well, we are here at the Farm Progress Show, and we're talking to Jeremy Miner. He's the technical agronomist for Kruger Seeds, covers the eastern half of the state of Iowa. And, Jeremy, we've seen a lot of variability in weather this year. What are you seeing? We're getting close to harvest. How are things looking? Things are looking pretty good for the most part, Mike. I mean, I've talked to a lot of guys that have come through the Kruger Seeds tent today. Uh, it really depends on where you're at. I mean, you have guys that uh, have not had uh, a drop of rain or a few drops of rain for the past maybe six to eight weeks. You've got guys that have had, obviously, plenty 
uh, and things are looking good, and they're hoping that we can just avoid some of these late-season storms like what we had come, kind of rum, rumble through yesterday and make sure everything's looking, uh, you know, pretty good. But for the most part overall, I think everybody's got a sense that there's a good crop out there um, with some of the dry spots. Obviously, there's going to be pockets where it's, where it's going to be way worse, and, and, you know, we could be hurting. But I think overall, we're looking pretty good. Jeremy, I want to take it back a little bit here because we might have some listeners that don't know what Kruger Seeds is. Can you kind of give us the 10,000-foot the view of what you guys do and where your territory covers? Yeah, absolutely. So Kruger Seeds uh, falls under the Bayer umbrella, formerly Monsanto. We are uh, one of 10 regional brands uh, across the nation. We are the Iowa-focused brand, so we are focused on Iowa. So all of our testing, all of our products uh, is done in Iowa. We select products specifically for Iowa. So uh, the Kruger story started in, in Dyke with uh, Dennis Kruger, Dyke, Iowa. Uh, started the company, um, sold that to Monsanto, and, and yeah, we are the only Iowa-focused brand under that umbrella. So we are we have farmer dealers uh, across the state, and um, yeah, that's that's our story. And agronomists covering the entire state. Yeah, we, yeah. we have we have two of them, and I am I am one half of the team. So if basically, if you split Interstate 35 down, you know, right down the middle of Iowa, I cover east all the way to the Mississippi River. Perfect. Now, from an agronomic standpoint, uh, what have you been hearing about? Are there any pests that are jumping out at you this year in Iowa? Is there anything that listeners really need to be aware of as we start to plan for next year? You know, as we plan for next year, right now, um, right now, guys are asking about stock quality and stock health. Just with the stress that we've had, you know, even too much water and not enough water, the stock health to me is going to be key. Um, we have a lot of good genetics, you know, that have come a long way that are holding things together pretty well. Um, that's what guys are looking for right now. Obviously, they want the yield, but they want to know, are there any, uh, you know, beneficial uh, things out there in our products that can help them out? We've got a lot of good uh, uh, combinations of packages of products that have, you know, the, the disease resistance as far as northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot, those types of things, which were, have probably been the most prevalent this year, especially with the, the high moisture, high temperature, things like that. Um, so, no, so we're guiding guys that way to be looking at, okay, what did you have for pressure this year? What's your rotation going to be for next year? Because if we are going back to a corn situation, we're certainly going to be uh, setting ourselves up for, for probably a heavy infestation next year. Northeastern Iowa all the way down to southeastern Iowa, that's a huge territory yeah. to cover. 174.6 or whatever the average well, yield is. You did the math. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know that. <laughs> I think it's 174.6 is what USDA projected as the uh, national average corn yield. Is that what most of the guys in your territory, I know that's a huge territory to cover, yeah. but is that what they're seeing? Or going to? is the Iowa average. Yeah. Are we going to see that as an average? Boy, <laughs> it's a tough call. I, I, I mean, you know that's a guess every year, um, but it always seems like we're right in that ballpark. I, I have, I, I think we're going to be there in a lot of spots. I really do, I and mean, that's just my gut feeling. Now, Jeremy, you know, without looking at, at all the outside factors that are going on, growers, of course, we got to make a dollar. And as we're looking ahead to next year, uh, we're hearing all kinds of things about rotations changing. When you talk to growers, are, are many of them making concrete decisions? this far ahead in the uh, even before harvest you know some guys are are thinking about it a lot of guys are i mean you know things are tight and guys are looking at which crop is going to pay me back you know the best and i have heard some guys talking about you know maybe maybe doing a little bit more corn on corn just because uh the money's going to be better there versus soybeans so um just a little bit of talk right now i think guys are are really just kind of poking around and just trying to figure out okay what do i need to do to make those numbers count for next year so there, there's a lot of thinking going on right now, you bet. It, it is a little premature, but when are guys locking in those seed needs with you? 
With us, they are locking them in usually uh, September, October. I mean, believe it or not, it is early enough. Just with some of the cash discounts, guys can come in and get the best deal early. They can get the, you know, the seed size that they want and get that locked down early. We're trying to give the best benefit early uh, just to kind of get maybe one more thing off of their plate, you know, one less input cost off their plate. So, um, yeah, the earlier the better for us. So that is pretty early. Do you anticipate with all the uh, external factors going on, some of those guys might wait past those early dates to lock in some of their needs? You know, they may, and there's still going to be some good discounts out there. Uh, the best is probably, you know, is obviously the earliest, but a lot of guys do like to wait till they get in the combine and kind of see what's going on. So, so we anticipate some of that too. Um, we've got guys that are just, that are loyal to the brand, uh, loyal to the products, and, and they'll make those locks early on. Um, other guys, I think, will come in, and, and probably not too far after, you know, October, November, uh, with harvest starting earlier. That, that may help push that along a little bit. But, uh, yeah, we, we still expect somewhat earlier lockdowns. Now, Jeremy, before we let you go, you're an agronomist. I'm not. Delaney's not. We don't know anything about agronomy. That's why we love talking to you guys. Final words. What do growers, what should we need to keep in mind as we go through 2018 into 2019? Biggest dollar advantage you can throw at us. What should we be doing? Oh, biggest dollar advantage? Dollar for dollar gain. Spend to get. You know, traits and agronomics are important. To me, when I'm talking to guys, like even here at the 10th Farm Progress Show, we're looking at agronomics to find out, you know, finding out their rotation. We're trying to figure out if we have products that can can help them take advantage of, you know, we saw a lot of corn rootworm infestations this year too. So we're making sure that they're paying attention to traits and making sure that we're guiding them to the right product for the right acre. So dollar for dollar, you know, just, just trying to make sure that, uh, you know, if they need a trade on a rotated acre because of a prior infestation, sure, we'll guide them that way and uh, provide them with some information. But if they don't, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to save them some money there too. So, uh, but looking at other agronomic characteristics, you know, like I, I mentioned, the leaf diseases and, and stalk diseases and things like that, we've got a lot of opportunity to, uh, to put some good products on some acres and, and help them that way as best we can. Well, Jeremy, for your first interview, that was pretty great. We appreciate your time today. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Well, thanks again to Jeremy. We're also going to be talking to Brent Wilson from Pioneer. He's their head agronomist for North, all of North America, so let's kick it off to him. Well, we are still at the Farm Progress Show, and we are in the cavernous Pioneer tent here, and we are talking to Brent Wilson, who is the agronomy lead for Pioneer. Brent, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Thanks, Mike. It's good to be here. Now, agronomy lead, you cover all sorts of things. Uh, obviously, we want to talk agronomy, we want to talk crop progress, but before we get into all of that, there's been some pretty big changes in the background of Pioneer here this past year. What has that meant for you? What has that meant for the agronomic staff at Pioneer? So basically what we did is we increased our agronomy presence as far as the number of field agronomist positions in the U.S. by about 50%. So, uh, you know, Pioneer has always uh, invested pretty heavily in that that space, you know, we've uh, the agronomy department is actually 53 years old this year, so we've been around a long time. Um, but I think it just recognizes that as as we look at agriculture and the sophistication it takes to grow a corn and soybean crop or all the rest of the crops, that technical expertise is pretty important, and we just want to make sure that we're well positioned to deliver on that to our customers. So with the, with those big changes, I mean, you've got a lot of big changes kind of at a bigger level with Corteva. Can you tell us a little bit about that for producers that may not yeah. know? 
So Corteva is the new company that's resulting from the combination of uh, Dow AgriSciences and DuPont Pioneer. So you've joined those two American companies together to form uh, Corteva. Uh, which is ag-focused. I mean, that's our main our main emphasis on both crop protection and seed side is 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 what will really drive that business. So, from my perspective, I like that ag-focus because that you know that's the language we speak, that's the business we're in, and being able to plan appropriately and understand that it's a seasonal business uh, really helps versus being in a company that has all these multiple different factors that are unrelated to agriculture. It's tough to hit quarterly results when quarters in agriculture might don't always mean the same as they do in manufacturing or whatever. Now, uh, you cover the entire U.S., so you've got your hand in a lot of different states. You're seeing a lot of different crops. We want to talk corn and soybeans. Brent, USDA was out uh, two weeks ago or uh, early August with their crop estimate. Crop Tour was out last week or two weeks ago. Tell us, do you think they're on the right track? Are we going to see a big corn crop this year? Well, I think we always like to argue with what some of those numbers tell us, but really there's nobody else that has much much better system than the USDA. They're very um, uh, precise and very diligent about you know their, their methodology. So I've learned that it's hard to argue with them. I think overall, yes, there's, there's a substantially big crop out there. Um, probably the thing that, that makes it interesting is that the variability is very high. I mean, just working at the show here today, within Iowa, you get people talking about 100 bushel yield levels and 300 bushel yield levels when they talk about corn. And it might be 20 miles apart. I mean, it's just just the way the weather patterns have developed this year have really you know put a lot of variability in. So, But despite that, I think... You know, we've had some pretty favorable conditions in a lot of areas that are going to drive some, some very big yield levels. Let's talk about some of that variability across the U.S. What are you seeing as far as factors that are impacting some of the yields that farmers are anticipating for this year? So probably the big things is we talk about some of those, those drought areas. You look through Kansas, Missouri. I mean, we know what that's, what that's done to the market. Our Texas market as well has been heavily impacted with that. You go to the eastern Corn Belt, though, and they've probably had one of the most favorable environments they've had for a while. Probably what's interesting is that in a very huge area, we had very good emergence conditions, even though we didn't always get there at the right time in, in some areas. A common uh, comment we hear back from our growers is that stands are very uniform when it comes to corn and soybeans. So we like uniformity when it, as far as developing those ears and, and, and filling those pods. So that's, that's been a real positive. Well, let's talk about soybeans a little bit. You know, we've had uh, we've had years and years and years of, of problems with pests in soybeans. We've had, you know, you name it. You know, of course, soybeans have dealt with it. This year, what are you seeing? Is there any pest or disease issue that's really jumping out at you as a threat? So as agronomists, we're always looking for the bad, right? That's our job. But I, actually, this year has been probably more benign. Um, you know, we were kind of concerned about how a sudden death syndrome would affect the crop with some of those those uh, wet conditions we had back earlier on. But I think there was enough warm weather that we don't see as heavy an infection of, of sudden death syndrome as we had. Some reports of uh, white mold up in some of our you know northern climates, which again is not unusual. But basically nothing really standing out as, as uh, completely unusual or completely concerning about the crop. So, follow-up then, if we're not really concerned about anything this year, next year we can save all kinds of money and not do any kind of crop protection, right, Brent? Well, I do think that uh, as we look at why we're in this situation right now is that, obviously, as we look at sudden death syndrome, there's a couple levers that we, we like to pull. One is obviously seed treatment. We can use you know, seed treatments that help us uh, prevent infection from sudden death syndrome. And as a genetic supplier, we're very conscious about you know, breeding soybean varieties that will tolerate 
higher levels of SDS. And we've definitely made some really nice gains in, in offering those options for growers. Well, it sounds like the magic show is getting started here behind us pretty soon. So uh, one final question for you. As you look out here over the next year, 2019 growing season, what are those big things that growers should be considering as they're making their final decisions for what to plant? So I think, you know, as, as we look this year, obviously the economic situation around crop selection, I'm talking to growers as far as that corn ratio to soybeans, you know, which way are they going to swing? Um, I'm not a market expert, but, uh, you know, it, it does look like, you know, we're in a situation that will favor corn. Um, and so I've had people ask about, you know, I'm going to grow continuous corn. I haven't done that in a while. Talk to your local agronomist. They've got, you know, lots of information as far as what are those key things to focus in on in their local areas. And sometimes it's not always cheap to be cheap. Sometimes you got to spend a little money to, to make it on the backside. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. And then just having an idea of what those most important variables are is, is, is pretty critical. Absolutely. Well, Brett Wilson, thank you so much for taking the time with us. We really appreciate it. And have fun here at the show. That will do. we got a magician. Hey, it's all good. <laughs> well, there we have it. a little bit of an agron update as we begin to kind of wrap up this growing season and start thinking about next. Once again, that stock quality is still a concern, I think, pretty well across the Midwest. And, and I know certainly here in Iowa, as these rains continue to fall, Delaney. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. And also dry weather we've seen across parts of the, the Midwest here, especially the plains. So going to be an interesting uh, interesting crop tour we're going to have or a farm tour next week we'll have so we'll be bringing you guys updates from that send tweeting out pictures putting pictures on facebook and twitter so you can see what we're seeing in the fields giving you our update even though mike and i are agronomists we both know enough about crops to kind of fill you guys in and tell you what we're seeing so again please reach out to us on facebook and twitter at ag news daily or you can shoot us an email on the website if you head to agnewsdaily.com we want to know if you are farmers in those areas or if you'd just like to have dinner with us and hang out, that's good, too. Mike, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.